Hi, I'm Mark Haywood and this is Behind the Spine, a podcast which finds learning opportunities for writers in the most unlikely of places. It's so welcoming. The people are wonderful. It's beautiful. And then when I was there and I found out about that murder, it did kind of raise the hairs on the back of my neck. What happens in life can often be more unbelievable than anything in fiction. Certainly the darkness of humanity will often surpass anything that a writer could dream up. It makes sense, then, to look to reality when crafting a compelling thriller. If the real world has ever inspired your writing, you'll really connect with today's conversation. Sarah Oakes is an attorney and law professor and also a debut novelist. Her book, The Dive, is a locked room thriller described as the guest list meets the beach. Sarah loves to travel, regularly visiting all sorts of beautiful locations, but there was one island paradise she fell madly in love with until a shock discovery upended everything she thought she knew about it. Chapter 1. It's not all sunshine. The dive sees diving instructor Cass lead her students out for their first dive off the beautiful coast of Koh Sang, Thailand's world-famous party island. It's supposed to be a life-changing experience, but things quickly spiral out of control. By the time she gets back to the shore, one of her students is dead and another badly injured. Someone is making sure that backpackers never leave paradise one murder at a time. And Cass has a feeling that she might be next. I asked Sarah how this book began and about the experience that inspired the story. I didn't start fiction writing until the COVID pandemic happened, when I, like a lot of other people, I guess, were, uh, or not I guess, I know, everyone else in the world was kind of stuck in their homes with a lot of free time and nowhere to go. So I've always been, you know, a huge avid reader. I I love reading. I specifically love reading thrillers. And I kind of just decided, you know, I've read enough of these. I maybe I can try to write one myself. So that was kind of what I used my time during COVID to do. And eventually, just sitting down and writing a little bit each day ultimately evolved into the dive when I've just gotten really, really lucky when it comes to, you know, securing my agent publishing deal and all of that. Uh, But about to turn to kind of your question about where this story actually came from. Yes, I am a scuba diver. I've been scuba diving since I was little, but they always did like kind of these beginner dives that you didn't need to be certified for. And then in 2015, I ended up taking a trip with a couple friends to Thailand. uh, And we backpacked through the country and ultimately ended up in an island called Koh Tao in the Gulf of Thailand, which is what the dive is the setting for the dive. The dive itself is set on a fictional island of Koh Sang, but that is very much based on the real life island of Koh Tao. Um, And while I was there, I became scuba dive certified finally, Uh, absolutely fell in love with the island. It was pure paradise. And then while I was there, I also found that there had been a murder of two British tourists uh-huh. on the beach, right, not far from where I was staying, like very close to where I was staying. Um, and it had only occurred the year before. And that really just kind of stuck with me. I couldn't really get over the contrast between the absolute paradise around me and this horrible crime that had happened to these two 
British tourists a year before. And that kind of just lodged in my brain. So when I returned to the United States, it was always something I was thinking of. I wanted to return to that island immediately, even despite all the, the horrible thing that had happened there. I just couldn't get it out of my mind. I was like intent on moving there. Of course, it never happened. And then when I sat down to write during the COVID pandemic, that was kind of the setting was the first place I thought of. And I couldn't think of a better setting than Kotal. So proof, if it were needed on this show, that inspiration from the world around you is often a very, very good hunting ground. OK, so right. So this is based on a real island and a real series of events. Fantastic. So you've obviously heavily anonymized all of this. In, in fact, you, you've taken what I thought I was going to read and turned it into something that I I didn't expect at all. And I loved that because I read a lot of thrillers. I read a lot of so-called locked room mysteries. I'm pretty good at figuring stuff out. I had some highs and some lows in terms of my successes as what was going on with this book. So there were some bits I thought oh, I knew that was going to happen. And there were other bits where I was like, Holy crap, Sarah, <laughs> where did you where did you pull that from? But we'll we'll get to all of that. But it's a very, very simple precinct. It's an island. It's paradise. There are tourists, there are locals. And then there is this group of people who refer to themselves as permanents. And you meet these people all over the world, the people that turn up with a backpack and they never go. These are real people. right? These aren't just tropes. These actually these people do exist, don't they? Oh, absolutely. A lot of the characters in the dive, while they're not based on specific people I met on my travels, they're kind of an amalgamation of a group, this group of people that I have met in Thailand and Belize and a bunch of other places that have done exactly that. They've kind of just said goodbye to everyday life and moved to paradise and kind of set up their own life there. And it, they feel like it's really easy to kind of scoff at that and say, look at these people and say, oh, they took the easy way out. They're not, you know, doing the nine to five thing. They just ran away and escaped. But in some ways, I think that's also, I mean, it's it's just, it's very brave of them to kind of take this risk and build a life that's so different from normality, I suppose. I often have a deep suspicion of people like that because I'm I'm sort of, you know, I've said on this show many times, I, I find it hard to differentiate the human being from the writer. And I, and the human being is like, oh, wow, what a, you know, how brave, what a great life. And the writer is going, what are you running from? Yes. Right? Yeah. So this is a book told from multiple perspectives right from the get-go. And normally in a novel like this, you would expect the classic Gillian Flynn, Gone Girl, boy, girl, boy, girl narrative that goes throughout the book. Yours has many different perspectives. So we get to hear what all the people, what most of the people think is going on all at the same time. And of course, some of them are right. Some of them are way off and some of them are actually need help in, in a very big way. When you started to write this, Sarah, was it always your intention to tell it from this many different perspectives? Yeah, I mean, I so really the the narration is from two different perspectives. So from Cass, who is one of the permanents living on the island, she's a scuba diving instructor. Obviously, she came to the island to run away from a very interesting past. And then the other perspective, the other narrator is Brooke, and she is a um, Instagram influencer or a travel influencer who came to the island purportedly to write about and take beautiful 
beautiful pictures of this place, but really with kind of a slightly darker motive, secretive motive. So it was always my intention to tell the story from the perspective of those two women, because I think they could bring very different perspectives on the story that was unfolding. Um, they both have very different backgrounds and very different, uh, different backgrounds to some extent with a lot more similarities than, than they first recognized. But at first, when I had first started writing it, I had done it more so with like 50 pages. The first 50 pages were fully narrated by Cass. The next 50 pages were fully narrated by Brooke. And then it turned into like one chapter by Cass, one chapter by Brooke. And as the editing process kind of evolved, my agent ended up suggesting that I switch to alternate chapters, one from Cass, one from Brooke, so on and so forth. And I think that really kind of helped helped with the pacing and helped with the plotting and all of that. But I did want to capture, like you said, kind of everyone on the island's different view of what had been going on as the plot escalates. As a writer, I can completely understand the brilliance of that note from your editor. But as a writer, I can also understand how damn hard that then is to go and execute because it's not (laughs) as simple for anybody listening to this that thinks, well, that's all right. All Sarah needs to do is to take 50 pages and then intermingle them with the other 50 pages. It doesn't work like that. Right. So how how much time did that take for you to unpick what you'd done? That was um, actually a suggestion from my agent. So I had gone through the whole querying process and submitted. Oh, you'd finally... already qu- you... oh wow, you were already in the querying process. Yes. Wow. And okay. I had finally found my, I had finally, I, I was, thankfully, it was fairly quick, but I had found my agent, Kate Burke. She's absolutely amazing. She said she really liked my uh, manuscript. So I thought, oh, you know, okay, she'll have a few tweaks and then we'll send it out to publishers. That was not the case. She actually had a lot of substantive edits, which made the book in retrospect so much stronger. But we were really going through the editing process together, probably for about a year, if not longer, before we ended up submitting to publishers. So that specific edit that she had of changing kind of the the ordering of the narration, along with all of the other edits, it was a lot. It took it took months and months. And to be honest, I think that portion of, of writing the dive was actually more difficult for me than the first draft or the first few drafts that I did on my own. Chapter two, blot out the landscape. The juxtaposition between this idyllic setting Sarah has drawn and the darkness that lies underneath fuels a deep sense of unease. It's especially unsettling to see such darkness in paradise. In fact, the beauty fades very quickly, dwarfed by the drama. It got me wondering about Sarah's experience of Ko Tao and whether her own feelings about the island shifted after she learnt about the murders. Did a prickling darkness and fear set in? Or did she turn a blind eye to it so as not to spoil the beauty? Yeah, that's actually a great point. And that's kind of exactly what happened. I mean, when I was there, it was kind of an instant, like instant attraction, I suppose. I fell really kind of head over heels for this island and kind of connected with it in a way I hadn't experienced in my travels before the places I'd traveled before that. And instantly, I just felt so kind of at home and at peace on this island. It's just, it's so welcoming. The people are wonderful. It's beautiful. I mean, it was, I, it was really where I thought I could see myself kind of living and building a, building a life like the permanents did. 
And then when I was there and I found out about that murder, it did kind of raise the hairs on the back of my neck a little bit. Um, and I did exactly what you said. I tried to kind of like, oh, that that doesn't sound right. I'm just not going to think about it. I'm not going to let that kind of destroy my perspective on this beautiful island. And it's funny, apparently those are not the only two murders that happened on Kotao, or at least the only two deaths that have happened on Kotao. As I was getting into the process of writing the, the dive, I've come across some, I don't know how entirely reliable they are, but I've come across some articles that mention a long list of tourists and backpackers and expats who have gone missing or have died under suspicious circumstances while on the island. And to me, that was much more difficult to digest, I suppose, because I've built up this island in my memory and in my mind as this amazing, beautiful, perfect place. And to read that there is such a dark underbelly that I've been kind of I was pretty oblivious to or blissfully ignorant of uh, while I was on the island was really kind of hard to swallow, I suppose. It's in a way it's the, an island is the perfect precinct because there is very little escape. It's very self-contained, very claustrophobic, if you like, hence, you know, using the description of a locked room mystery, the locked room itself being the island, but there is almost some kind of spiritual dark underbelly to this island, almost as if the, the island itself is some malevolent force. And I wanted to come back to the to the permanence because there is a sense that people in this book want no mention made of what happens in the first, you know, few chapters of your book because that spoils the illusion that this island is anything other than a paradise. I could completely buy into that because that's essentially the equivalent of not wanting to believe a rumor about someone you love, because the second you accept that that's a reality, then everything you thought you knew about that person is shattered. And, and it's the same for this island, isn't it? Is that the permanence will, it's a bit like a game show, but they, they appear to be willing to go to extreme lengths to protect what they have built. Is that what it, you know, is, that's what we are trying to buy into, isn't it? And I, I thought that was entirely authentic. Yeah, I absolutely love your thoughts on that. And that's exactly what I was going for. I mean, to me, in when I'm writing my books, I want kind of the setting itself to be a character. And I do agree that the other characters in this novel were we're acting the exact way you said that, you know, if something bad happens about something, someone they know and someone they love, they just kind of bury their head in the sand. And that's exactly what's happening with their feelings towards the character of this island. And yeah, I mean, I think we can all kind of relate to that on some level. Like there are places that we know and we feel comfortable in, we call home. And if something bad happens there, it kind of threatens our entire existence almost and our entire belief in what we feel is safe and comfortable and that definition of home as well so i think that kind of willing blindness is something that i did want to really come across in the character so i'm glad you picked up on that it's a difficult genre to navigate in my notes to you i mentioned the notion of dramatic irony which is so important for the engagement of a reader or a, or a viewer, but particularly for a reader. And 
dramatic irony that the lack of it can have a really disenfranchising effect on a reader. Because what you could have done with this book, and in the hands of a less skilled writer, this is where this book would have ended up. There would have been absolutely no point at which the reader knew things that the other characters didn't. And I think had you done the 50 pages, 50 pages, that that's a trap you could very easily have fallen um, have fallen into. And the change of that made it really empowering for the reader, for me as the reader, because I'm hearing what Brooke is thinking. Then I'm hearing what Gas is thinking. Then I'm seeing what Brooke is saying, knowing what she's thinking and thinking, well, hang on, you're being disingenuous there because that's not what you believe at all. And I thought that was really, really interesting. And of course, there are other many other characters in this and they they drift in and out and they have huge impacts on it. There isn't there isn't a wasted character in it. There isn't anyone that felt like they were underdrawn. But that notion of of dramatic irony, I wondered if you've allowed yourself to reflect on how easy it may have been for you to, with the with the greatest of respect, completely screw this up, right? Because it, it's got so much energy, it's so tight, and it's a very simple trap to fall into, and that would just release all of the tension that you've built up. I mean, it's a, it's a huge responsibility to write a book like this. Were you conscious of that when you were writing it, or has it now only just started to, to crush you? I think, well, thank you so much for saying that, first off. But I, I don't think I was too conscious about it when I was first writing. I think maybe that came about a little bit more in the editing process. But I really did want, especially when we switched that that chapter structure to alternate between the two narrators, I really did want the reader to kind of grasp the distinction between the two narrators' motives. And they were they're both in their own way, a detective for what's going on. But they have very different motives for kind of getting to the bottom of that mystery. Um, and they're looking at different things and they're not sharing what they find necessarily with the other person. So I did want the reader to kind of be able to discover the evidence, if you will, from both perspectives and and to see really what everyone was hiding and perhaps why they were hiding it and allow the reader themselves to be the detective, if that makes sense. Chapter three, an eye on the ending. I've read this book in full once and I have reread sections of it several times. It's really interesting to see how skillfully Sarah was able to misdirect in the early stages of the novel. The trick with a structure like this is that at some point these different perspectives have to collide. So once you have an ending in mind, it's critical that you spend a lot of time in the editing process ensuring that every path leads to this moment. As Sarah's mentioned, the novel is told from the perspectives of Cass and Brooke, who could have changed the course of this story if only they'd talk to each other. Frustrating and compelling, the events that unfold because these two characters lack trust in one another helps build this collision point in a spectacular fashion. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I was, again, I don't think I was too conscious about this as I was drafting, but definitely in the editing process. I did have either my agent or editor at one point say simply like, why don't, exactly what you point out, why don't they just talk to each other? But there's so much 
backstory and distrust and motivations that neither of the characters, none of the characters in the book are really willing to share with each other at risk of kind of exposing their past or exposing their reasons why they are on the island. And I kind of, I kind of like that. I kind of like this idea of all of these people being very close, being friends, almost family, but every single one of them having such dark secrets that really never, that really doesn't allow the others to fully know them. So I, that was definitely something I was conscious of during the editing process. The precinct in this world that you've created is not one with which I am familiar at all. And to me, it felt very authentic. Has anybody that would recognize your background in, in scuba and, and Thailand and the island that you went to, has anybody that has that experience read this? And if so, what was their reaction to it? I have not, I don't know if I've had anybody read it who has actually been to Koh Tao yet, but I've had a number of people reach out to me and say, oh, I visited such and such island in Thailand, and this is exactly what that island feels like, and it brought me right back there. And I had originally, as I, as I said, I made this a fictional island based very much on Koh Tao, but I, I intentionally chose not to set it on Koh Tao itself. But I had originally very good up, decision, by the way. <laughs> that's the, the lawyerly background in me. Um, but I had come up with a name that I thought I was just, you know, quite smart in coming up with. And I spoke to someone and they said, oh, I've actually visited that exact island. And that is exactly what it looks and feels and sounds like. And I was thinking, oh, no, this isn't this isn't a real island. I, this is this is a fake name. And they said, oh, no, that is a real name. I've been there. So then I had to go back and come up with a different name. <laughs> so that was that was interesting and unexpected. But I will say my husband is a very avid scuba diver and he scuba dives more than I do. And he read this and I made sure to get his feedback to make sure I was getting everything right when it comes to the equipment and the depth and all of those things. So this has been listening to you talk. This has been a very in relative terms very quick process from initial concept of idea to first draft to rewrites to final draft to querying process to you know publication so firstly congratulations on that it doesn't normally happen this quickly Thank you. and i wondered if you'd had the time to reflect on what the hell has happened to you over the last couple of years and the reason i ask this is because and the reason i love talking to debut novelists is because we're recording this in June. In late July, this book will be out in the wild and people will be on beaches on holiday reading this book and they can say whatever they like about <laughs> it. Right. So at some point, the the lid comes off this process now, Sarah, and, and you become a published novelist and anyone that has the money to go and buy the book and read the book can have an opinion about that book. And that's often not easy to not an easy thing to be on the receiving end of this thing has happened so quickly. Have you had any time to sort of step back and go, Oh my God, this is insane. I try, I try really hard to take that time and to reflect and, and think like, this is a dream. This is a complete dream, something I never would have thought would happen in my in, in all my years. 
and really just be grateful for that. I mean, and it's, it is hard to do. I mean, it's certainly a whirlwind and there are so many emotions that come with, as you know, being a debut author, mostly excitement and a really healthy dose of just complete terror. When you were talking about, you know, the book being out in the world and people reading it and also, you know, as the, as it's as is fully within their right to do, having very differing opinions on it. I mean, it just, my stomach turns, just thinking of this being out in the world. I mean, it's been, it's, the story has been so personal to me and been kind of my own thing for so long that it's, it's so strange and surreal and a tad bit terrifying to think that it'll be out in the world. I mean, it's still very, as I was preparing for this discussion today, I was kind of just thinking it's so strange and surreal to me to be talking about these characters who are just have just been like a figment of my imagination and just kind of my imaginary friends who I've spent days in and days out with over the last few years and to now talk with people about them who as if they're real people walking on the earth is just something that is so crazy to me. But yeah, I mean I do I try to be appreciative amidst all of the nerves and and excitement, but I, I'm I'm really looking forward to next month in July and to see what comes with that. Well, we wish you well. The Dive is published on the 20th of July. It's a triumph. Sarah Oaks, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Conclusion, a massive thank you then to Sarah Oaks for today's episode. And to recap, what have we learnt? You don't necessarily have to be trained in writing to write. Read enough books and you'll be developing the skills to pen your own novel without even realising it. And if you're lucky, you'll find success like Sarah has done. Keeping your reader in the know through the use of dramatic irony can really empower them and help to add an extra layer of jeopardy and suspense to your narrative. And finally, when you do find success, and if you keep at it, you will, remember to take time to reflect on it, to be grateful for what you've achieved. But as Sarah says, a healthy amount of terror is fine too. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Haywood. You can get in touch directly at info at behindthespine.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you. We're also on Twitter and Facebook as at Behind the Spine and Instagram as at Behind the Spine Podcast. Check out the show notes for additional information and a full transcript of this episode. You can also sign up to the email newsletter for updates about our exclusive live and in-person residency at the Groucho Club in London. Titled Inside Stories, these events are not recorded and not repeated and are designed to put you the audience both behind the spine and in the room if you'd like to go on the guest list please drop us a line goodbye for now stay safe and keep writing this podcast is produced by og podcasts find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk